You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, 10 o'clock crowd. It's so good that you're here. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We are right in the middle of our detox series. We started out, uh, and really just thinking about detox, it, it really is this idea of a letting go of one thing to take hold of something else, something better. And Pastor Trent got us kicked off in the first week talking about our past, letting go of our past so we can take hold of God's future. And then last week, great sermon on relationships, letting go of toxic relationships so we could take hold of relationships that lift God up and lift us up. Today we're going to talk about detoxing the heart. And you may think, how are we going to let go of the heart and take hold of what? But in this message of toxic heart and detoxing our heart, we're talking about letting go of the toxins and the wounds and the poison and the unresolved conflicts and the hurts and the pains and the cracks, letting them go to take hold of God's freedom and liberty that we find only in Jesus Christ. Now, as the weather gets warmer, we're looking forward to, uh, to March. In March, I always have a big, huge decision in March. I have a lot of landscaping at my house. And around March, all the weeds and these crazy thorns and thistles and, and funky things that begin to grow that I've never seen before will come out of all of my landscaping beds, just like yours. And, and so I have a decision to make. Do I want to spend one weekend digging out all those weeds, spraying, using shovels, getting on my hands and knees, throwing it in a wheelbarrow, taking it out? Or do I just want to mulch it and cover it all up? Now, my desire is just to mulch it and cover it all up. Saves me a weekend. It's easier. It's faster. It's quicker. I tend to get more people to help on the mulch weekend as opposed to pulling all the weeds, digging them out, spraying. But I know that if I just mulch them around May or June, right, all of them are going to come bursting through the mulch, and I'm going to have to deal with them all over again perhaps more and bigger, more deeply rooted in the ground. And whatever I'm going to do in May and June is going to be much more difficult to do than if I would have just done it in early March. But my desire is just to cover up the weeds. The same thing is true with our heart. We've got weeds, we've got holes, we've got wounds, we've got cracks, we've got issues, we've got unresolved conflicts. And many of us have tried to spend a lifetime just covering them up, just mulching over them, just pressing them down. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to think about them. It hurts too much. I want to let it go. I want to let it go. I want to let it go. Issues of wounds and cracks and unresolved lies that have been written on our heart, messages and beliefs that have been written on our heart. We try to cover them up. We try to move on. People tell us to get over it. But they just keep bursting forth from time to time. Some incident will happen, and those weeds will come forth, and, and those wounds will come out, and those bad behaviors and emotions will spring forward, and everybody will begin to see them again, no matter how hard we try to cover them, no matter how hard we try to press them down deep in the recesses of our heart, they come forward. And people see them. 
We may not think that people see them, but people see them. You say, well, how do I know that I have toxins and weeds in my heart? Certainly God knows it and God can see them. But if you want to know, just look at three areas of your life. Look at your emotions. Look at your relationships. Look at your behaviors. If all of those things, relationships, emotions, and behaviors, if they're fully aligned with God and his word, then you're in good shape. But if any of those things are unresolved conflict, if any of those things are causing difficulties in your life, if any of those things are, are, are out of whack and roller coaster emotions and up one day and down the next, you know that you're out of alignment with God's alignment. And there needs to be a recalibration. And so you look at these things and we ask ourselves, are we healthy? Are we aligned with God and are we aligned with his word? And I want to clear something up before we get any farther about myths and truths. There is a myth, and we've heard it all our life. Maybe we've been told it. Maybe we've been told it by the generation before ours, our parents, or somebody. But they just tell you one thing. They tell you to get over it. And it's a myth. It's a myth. There's no such thing as just getting over something. The truth is, things are either resolved or they are not resolved. You may push those weeds down. You may step on them. You may just cut the tips off, but the root's still there. You may think you've gotten over it, but until it is completely healed and dealt with and resolved, it's either laying there resolved or it's laying there unresolved. So where do these wounds and holes come from and how do we resolve them? Well, to know that, we have to go to the origin of all wounds, of all curses, of all brokenness. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you know the story of God creates man and woman. He puts them in the garden. They have a perfect life. They have love, peace, patience, understanding, affirmation, acceptance, significance, security. They have it all in God and in each other. And then with all of the blessings, all of the positive things they can do, there's only one thing that God puts a boundary on in their life, and they can never stop thinking about that one thing. And eventually they violate that boundary, they sin, and a curse is placed on everything that you and I know, everything you and I see, everybody you and I have experienced. But he gives a specific curse to the woman and a specific curse to the man. Verse 16 of chapter 3. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Wow. We were created for paradise. We were created for life as it was meant to be. But now this curse comes. Genesis 1 and 2, the man were experiencing all these perfect things, love, peace, safety, significance, security, acceptance, affirmation, validation. They had complete fulfillment of their life in their connection to God and their connection with each other. 
Everything you and I as humans want, they had. And then they lost it, but the desire to have it back never ends. As a matter of fact, you and I are starving for these things today. It's what binds us together. We're created in the image of God. But now they would begin to search for this in different ways other than God. And God says to the woman, I'm going to put a curse on you. And the two categories it says here is you're going to have pain in childbearing and you're going to have a desire for men, but they're going to rule over you. Now, what does he mean by that? You ever think about what that really means? Because somebody could say, you know what? I'm going to stay single. I'm not going to have any kids. I'm not going to get married. Woo, I beat the curse of God. I'll show him. I mean, you could even say like my wife. She got pre- she's pregnant by me, and she walks into the hospital, and before she gets to a wheelchair, she's saying, hook me up. She wanted an epidural while she was walking to her room. I want no pain. And she said, woo, we beat the curse of God. We could go real crazy and say, hey, women, become in safe sex, same-sex relationships. Then you won't have a man rule over me, and you won't get pregnant, and you beat the curse of God. Way to go. Does anybody think there's any legitimacy to those things? That's crazy, right? That's nuts. That cannot be what that means. It's not. God created women, and he knew they got all of their affirmation, validation, significance, security, uh, acceptance, got all of that in God. But God created women. So he knew the moment that they lost that connection, that they would begin to try to find their fulfillment, their validation, their acceptance, their significance, their security in something else. And they would begin to find that in one area, and it's called relationships. Women would now try to find their fulfillment in relationships, specifically men and their children. You ever know that girl in high school or college? She always had to have a boyfriend. Everybody know her? Like she broke up with somebody today, she'll be with somebody tomorrow. Anybody know that girl? Is anybody that girl? I don't want you to raise your hand. We know them. Typically, they start with a man, and then the man doesn't meet their needs and doesn't fill that hole inside of them, so they just pour themselves into their kids. And God says, I want you to know, women, You're never going to find your fulfillment in men or in your children. Why, God? I'm going to curse it. I'm going to curse. I'm going to thwart your ability to find fulfillment in relationships. Ouch. Men, dust of your brow, thorns and thistles on the ground. You're going to till it, but it's going to give you back dry and dusty. All the days of your life, you're going to try to get food to grow from that. But it's just dust, and you're dust, and someday you're going to go back to dust. Wow. But I thought, hey, I'll beat the curse of God. I'll get a job that has air conditioning in an office and heat. No sweat, no brow, no nothing. I'm good. Beat the curse of God. Anybody think that's what that means? Of course not. What's this talking about? It's talking about the way that men will now try to find fulfillment. They used to find it in affirmation, validation, acceptance, security. They used to find that in God, but now God knew because he created us men, he knew that we would now try to find our fulfillment in one thing, summing up all that curse in one thing, achievements, accomplishments, performance, specifically in the area of our work. 
Women would try to find fulfillment in life. They would try to find it in relationships, specifically men and their children. Men were going to try to find it in their affirmation, their validation, their acceptance, their significance, their security. They're going to try to find that in achievements, their work specifically. I know this to be true because I do a lot of counseling. And when I tell you what, you know when a woman comes for counseling? When her relationships are broken. Men don't come. What's going on? How's the marriage? It stinks. You getting any help? What for? She'll come around. Is what it is. You know when men come to counseling? When they lose their job. When they get a pink slip. When they can't make money. When they can't provide for their family. See, these truths from Genesis 3 over thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago are still true for us today. I'm convinced men, only men, only men keep trophies from like sixth grade. You ever notice that? And then they have kids, and they're like, hey, son, look at this. I played basketball. Here's my certificate. What for, Dad? Perfect attendance. Who keeps their fifth grade perfect? A man. A man. A man does anything, and he wants applause. I mean, he does the dishes in his house, and he wants his wife to start unbuttoning her shirt. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they want, they want, there's got to be some fruit to what I'm doing. I'm convinced, my wife's a cheerleading coach, I'm convinced that men created cheerleaders. Hey, huh, hey, I'm going to go out and throw a ball in a hole, and then I want you to clap about it. Only a man would come up with that. Have you ever been to softball, rec softball leagues? Bunch of overweight men trying to hit a little ball and run around a bait. They hurt stuff, pull stuff. And then they, but who's in the stands? Their wives. They don't want to be there. They're messing with the kids. They're talking to each other. Hey, hey, honey, did you see that hit? I saw it. You're the best ever in the history of the world. Thank you. Thank you. So does that, you know, when we get home, does that make you want to, you know, be with the guy that's done everything in the world? You want to... Where do we get this? Because we're created that way. We do anything. We want applause. Achievements. And God says, I want you to know, man, I'm going to curse it. That's where midlife crises come from. Men have tried to fulfill that hole all their life. They get about 40, and it's still empty, and they don't know what to do. Women are going to try to find it in relationships. Men are going to try to find it in achievements. And God says, I'm going to curse it. I'm going to curse them both. You'll never find it there. And we go, oh, my gosh, Lord, that sounds awful. That sounds hard. That sounds harsh. It sounds unloving. And God says, no, you don't understand. You don't understand how it works. Men, you're so shallow that if you could get it, if you could get it in achievement and performance, that would be enough for you. And you would just settle right there. And that would be enough. And I love you too much to allow you to settle for temporal things, earthly things. I want you to press through and find your fulfillment in me, like Genesis 1 and 2, in the origin of the way I created you. You're only going to find fulfillment in me the way it used to be. Women, if you could find it in a husband and your whole life was perfect, a husband and children and everything is just the way picture perfect you want it to be, that would be enough for you. You would settle right there. And God says, I'm going to curse it. Why? Because you don't love us, God? No, because I love you so much. I don't want you to settle for these temporal, earthly things. I want you to press through to something higher and find your fulfillment back in me through Jesus. 
the way it used to be. Man, that's tough. So out of this, I get my favorite, favorite definition of sin. Meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Thinking about that. Meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. You see, we all have these hearts. We have these hearts. And there are three categories of hurt and pain that come to our hearts as we're growing up. Things that have happened to us, things that we have done to our own hearts, and things that we do to other people. All pain and hurt really comes from those three categories. And we all want love, acceptance, significance, peace, security. Those are legitimate needs, but we've spent our entire lives trying to find those, meet those legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And illegitimate, I mean unbiblical, disobedient ways. Think about this in your heart. Something happens, your dad leaves when you're 12 years old, and boom, hole in my heart. My mom's manipulative and guilts and uses guilt to try to get me to do what she wants me to do. Hole in my heart. I saw porn at an early age, and it just wrecked my brain and my heart, and I don't know what to do with it, and it's been an issue all my life. Another hole. I had sex outside of marriage, and then that sex got me pregnant, and then I had an abortion, and now... I've hurt myself and hole after hole, pain after pain. My parents weren't available. We never talked about anything growing up. Everything was just hush, hush. Hole after hole after hole after hole forms in our heart. And now we have a heart that looks something like this. And then we hear a pastor, we read in God's word that Jesus sums up all of scripture, two verses, all of scripture by one verse, two things. Love God with all your what? heart and love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart. Love others with all your heart. But this is what our heart looks like. How do we love people with all of this? You see, some of you are loving God with all your heart. You may be loving others with all your heart. The problem is your heart is about three-quarters size. Or maybe it's worse Maybe there's been abuse and verbal, emotional, sexual, and your, your, your heart is small. It's so much woundedness that you, you don't even know how to love God with all your heart. You, you are loving God with all your heart, but it's so small of a heart. You're, you're trying to, in a relationship with a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or someone, and, and they're saying things like, you just don't love me with all, you're not giving me all of yourself. And they're going, I promise you that I am. And you don't understand that they really are giving all of their heart. They just don't have that much of a heart to give. And when you're pushing back, feeling like they're withholding something from you, you're right. You're sensing something right, but they don't know it. And they don't know what to do with it. And they don't know how to do it. And if you ever try to talk about somebody's hole, they usually get very defensive. You're getting too close, too close to protected territory. You see, peace is a legitimate need, but using drugs or alcohol, or I'm going to get a divorce just to bring 
peace to the chaos. Those are illegitimate ways to meet a legitimate need. Love and comfort and nurture, partnership and companionship, legitimate needs, of course. But having relationships where there's sex outside of marriage, same-sex relationships to fill that legitimate need, those are illegitimate ways to fill legitimate needs. We all have the same legitimate needs. We were created in the image of the same God. Significance is a legitimate need, but becoming a workaholic and and acquiring stuff to make yourself look like something is an illegitimate way. And all of that just makes toxic holes and weeds in our heart that we've spent a lifetime trying to cover up. Never resolved. More mulch, more mulch, more hiding, more covering, more pressing down, but never resolved, and they just keep showing themselves at different times. These are tough issues, right? Think about your life. This is where we connect with each other. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we connect with people at the legitimate need issue. It's a legitimate need. And we spend too much time judging people for the illegitimate way that they're trying to meet a legitimate need rather than caring for the legitimate need that's in their life. And we become haters or bigots or something worse. Or we're called that. Hey, our role as followers of Jesus is to care about the legitimate needs that are in the lives of people. They're the same needs that I have and you have. All of us may try to use different illegitimate ways to fill that with different consequences, but it's still true. So what do I do? What what if my heart looks like this? And today you go, oh my goodness, that looks just like mine, except mine may not look this good. What do I do? Where do I go? How do I resolve it? I don't want to put mulch on any longer. Well, let's go through the process. The first thing that we do, number one, and this is number one, understand the enemy is Satan. The enemy is Satan. You say, what's the big deal about that? This is like Sunday school answer. I know, I know, I know. But hey, Satan is the enemy. We always fight against the person or, that we think is our enemy. If you think it's your spouse, you are probably having conflict and fighting with your spouse. If you think it's parents, you think you're fighting against your parents. If you think it's your children, if you think it's your boss, if you think it's your church, if you think it's your pastor, you're always fighting against the persons or, or person that you think is the enemy. And if you get distorted in understanding who the real enemy is, you're going to lose it. You're going to be wasting energy on the wrong entity. I hear so many times, my spouse is my enemy. I just can't stand him. They can't stand him. You know what? Your spouse is not your enemy. Even if the enemy, Satan, is using your spouse to just, their, their chaos in their life is causing you chaos, they're still not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Always the enemy. 
He wants to destroy your marriage. Your spouse doesn't want to destroy your marriage. They didn't get married to you years ago and go, you know, I really hope that after this day of this wonderful, blissful day where I think you're an angel and you think I'm an angel and I can't believe God's given us this gift in each other, I really hope, though, in 10 years we're fighting and getting a divorce and fighting over custody for the kids. Now, I promise you, your spouse is not hoping that that happens. Typically. But if you think they're the enemy, you're going to fight against them. Whatever you think the enemy is, that's where your conflict will be. Satan is the enemy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy this church. Nobody else. He uses people, but, 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 but they're just pawns. Pawns. Ephesians 6.12 says what? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of you are wrestling against flesh and blood. Mom, dad, relationships, spouse, children, bosses, issues. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, rulers, and authorities in dark places. And spiritual forces, spiritual dark forces in heavenly places. Evil in heavenly places. You understand who the enemy is, is a big part. Detox your heart. He wants to destroy your heart. Some of you think somebody else is. I promise you they're not. It's the enemy. He uses the painful circumstances or experiences of our lives to lie to us and destroy us with his lies. You may have been hurt by somebody else, but it was his voice that whispered in your head, see, you're no worthy. You're not good enough. Nobody's ever going to love you. You'll never measure up. That was him. And he just used the pain. Dad, don't let him take your family. Mom, don't let him destroy your relationship. Young people, single people, don't let him get you hooked with the wrong person and take you down a course of destruction. Understand who the enemy is. Secondly, take personal responsibility. Now, this is huge. I really do care that your heart looks like this, and I know nobody cares more about this than Jesus. But with all of the hurt that's been done to you, with all of the hurt that you've done to yourself out of that hurt, and then all the hurt you've done to others because of it, because hurting people hurt people, but the good news is healed people heal people. Tuck, tuck that away. This is still our heart. And no matter what happened to it, it's shut down to true love. It's protecting itself so it won't get hurt again. Whatever it is, it's still your heart. It's still my heart. And I have to take personal responsibility for this. Nobody else is responsible for my heart other than me and God working together on it. We're still blaming people. You're still hoping somebody will apologize. You're, you are in a tough place because rarely does that happen. I am responsible for my heart, and I have to take personal responsibility for it. Now, I'm about to walk you through a process that's the same process, biblical process, for healing, for freedom, for salvation, for living in the light, for reconciling relationships, for almost anything that you have a problem with. I'm about to walk you through this process, and you can use it for anything. How do I take personal responsibility for my heart? Number one, confess. You're like, wow, this is like Sunday school, right? Confess. 
No, I'm, I'm going to try to put a twist on these things that maybe help us understand it in a way that maybe we've never understood it before. Confess. 1 John 1, 9. If we what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our job is not to forgive. Our job is to confess. Confess. Now, the Catholics have so distorted this word that Protestants just dismiss it and don't understand the significance of it in the process of healing, forgiveness, salvation, and all these things. I want to break it down so, so finely. So confess literally means to agree with God. To agree with God. Not just that I'm a sinner, but the specific sins. Not just that I've been hurt, but how have you been hurt? So agree with God. So how do you confess? There are three things. First of all, the first thing we do in confession is to understand what happened, to confess what happened. So here I have my, my heart. What happened? Where did this hole come from? Where did this hole come from? Where did this hole come from? What happened? Well, when I was 12 years old, my dad left. When I was nine years old, I saw pornography for the first time, and it absolutely destroyed me. I was sexually abused, emotionally abused, verbally abused. Then I had an abortion. I, 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 I closed my heart. I broke up. I moved a lot, and I never connected. So I was bullied. I mean, what, what, what is it? What happened? Not just I'm hurting. Not I sinned. No, specific. What happened? Where did the breaks, the holes, the wounds, where did they come from? Where did they come from? Dad never gave me the blessing. It was always critical. I, where did they come from? Mom was emotionally unstable, and she just was so manipulative and, 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 and guilt She just used guilt. There was shame-based identity. I was raped. Family never talked about it. Where did the holes come from? What happened? Secondly, how did it make me feel? Now, this is the hard one. How did it make me feel? See, some of us walk through this part, and we just dismiss it. We never go there. So, yeah, what happened? Yeah, my dad left, but you know, things happen. No, that's not confessing. That's not agreeing with God. Your dad left, and it broke your heart. It broke your heart. You were never the same after that. Your mom manipulated you and used guilt to get you to do what she wanted you to do all your childhood years. You know, that's just the way she was. No, that's not confession. That's not being honest. That's not being vulnerable. That's not being transparent. It distorted and skewed your ability to know the difference between right and wrong and how to have boundaries. That's huge. You looked at porn, but you know what? All guys did. That's just the way it is nowadays. They say you're seeing it at seven, eight, nine. You know, that's what happens. No, something triggered, something clicked inside of you. Criticism, bully, whatever it was. How did it make you feel? My dad left when I was 12, and the boy says, and how it made me feel like I was unworthy, I was not loved, no one would ever stick around. I just knew I was all alone in this world. Gosh, that sounds painful. Girl says, my dad left when I was 12, and I just felt like no man would ever want me. No man would ever want to be a part of my life. I was just trying to find all places. I was trying to find things. How did it make you feel? If you really want to know how to do this, Psalm 32, 38, and Psalm 51, David is crying out how his sin made him feel. It's a beautiful way to learn. 
we have to confess because God knows the severity of what that pain really happened to us and he wants you and I to know. So what happened? How did it make me feel? And then thirdly, what did I do? What did I do? Well, it just started me on a path of trying to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. My dad left when I was 12. It made me feel like I was nobody. I never received the blessing. I never got his affirmation. I've been seeking affirmation all my life in illegitimate ways. I've tried to buy everything I can buy. I tried to climb the corporate ladder. I tried to go up trying to prove to my dad and everybody else in the world that I am somebody, that I matter, that I'm important. That's what I did. Or a girl says, my dad left when I was 12, my mom, and I just, it just made me feel like no one would ever love me, no one would ever want me, so I became sexually active, and I wanted a guy's touch. I'd rather have illegitimate guy's touch as opposed to no touch. And I'd rather be in bad relationships than no relationships. So I started a life of meeting my legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. What happened? How did it make you feel? And what did you do? And then, then it happens. We shift to the next thing, which is to forgive or receive forgiveness from God. God forgives us. I have so many holes in my heart. I had so many legitimate needs that went unmet that I did whatever I could to meet those legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Hatred, close my heart, anger, bitterness, sex, food, medication, drugs, alcohol, status, money, image, relationships, workaholic. I created a false sense of self. I hated God. I blamed God. I believed lies. I hurt myself. I hurt others. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me for taking all of these holes in my life and chasing illegitimate ways of trying to fulfill these holes. Forgive me, Lord. I didn't know what I was doing. Forgive me. Forgive me. And then something happens. Something begins to happen. Healing comes. The heart begins to regenerate and become whole. And then something else happens. Once I realized the depth of forgiveness I need and that I just didn't know what I was doing, I was just following my emotions and my pain and my wounds, I don't just receive God's forgiveness, I forgive others. I forgive others. This is... If you think this is the hardest part, let me just tell you, it is. Lord, my dad left when I was a little boy. I hated him, but you know what? My dad was so messed up. He had wounds in his own life. He was screwed up. He didn't know what he was doing. He had holes and wounds, and he was acting out of those. Lord, he didn't know what he was doing. I forgive my dad. Lord, my mom was so manipulative, so controlling, so, so emotionally unstable. Oh, God, she didn't know what she was doing. She used guilt. She made me feel bad. She controlled me with those guilt. and my, Lord, just, just, Lord, I forgive her. Just as I needed forgiveness, she needs forgiveness, and I forgive her. I release her. She didn't know what she was doing. 
Lord, when my parents or my boyfriend took me to the abortion clinic, I didn't want to go. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in a bad spot. I didn't want to go. Why did they do that? But Lord, they didn't know what they were doing. They, they were confused. They were messed up. They were uh, ignorant. They didn't know. They didn't know what they were doing. Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. Once I receive forgiveness and realize the depth of my need for forgiveness, it becomes very natural then to us to roll that over and realize they need it too. And then I keep hearing myself say, they, they don't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. And I go, oh my goodness, that reminds me of somebody. Wasn't Jesus hanging on the cross going, Father, forgive them. What did he say? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. God forgives me. I forgive others. And then I forgive God. I forgive God. And you go, wait a minute. God didn't do anything. I know he didn't. But you think he did. You're still blaming him. You cried out for him to rescue you. You cried out for him to take you out of that situation. You cried out to him. Why You're still blaming him for putting you in a relationship with that person. Why did you let me go out with them? Even though everybody told me not to and I went out with them anyway, right? But I, why did you let that happen, God? Why did you let me get pregnant? We had sex one night. You let me get pregnant this one. Why? Why? Why, God? I'm mad at you. Why did we move every one year? Why, 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 why? Why? I'm mad at you. I blame you. Where were you? Why didn't you rescue me? You're supposed to be loving. You've been blaming God for so long. He did not do anything wrong. He was with you. He wept with you. He was there for you. You just couldn't see him. Your pain had pushed him away instead of drawing it to you. Release him. Release him. He didn't do anything wrong. He's your help. And the reason you can't find help because you're blaming him and the only one who can help you is him and you're pushing him away because of your anger and blame and hatred. Confess what happened. How did it make me feel? What did I do? Then receive forgiveness for self. I forgive others and then I release or forgive God. And then lastly, the big one. Repent. Repent. Oh, great, another Sunday school word. No, 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 no. Let's dial this down. Repent. Change. Recalibrate. Realign. You remember when Jesus came to the rich young ruler and said, he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what? Because he had given his whole life significance and security to money and possessions, Jesus was going to recalibrate him by saying, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he said, I can't do that. Then you're not going to be my follower. To the woman at the well, Jesus comes up. She's an affirmation, relationship addict. She's living with a man that's not her husband. And Jesus says, we got to recalibrate. You've got to go home and you've got to move out of that house with that man. He's not your husband. You've got to repent. You've got to change. Zacchaeus, you're a thief. You stole thousands and thousands of dollars. You are so out of alignment with the things of God. Zacchaeus, you've got to go all the way to the other side and repent, and you've got to give four times everything you stole and give it to the poor. 
You see, some of us, we dabble. We dabble. We're out of, here's alignment. And we come over here and we're out of alignment. And we go, hey, I'm going to change a little bit. Bip. And it's just a day or two before we're back. I mean, it's the guy at McDonald's says, I want two Big Macs, supersized fries, and a Diet Coke. I mean, I'm changing my life, baby. I'm changing. I'm changing. New leaf, new year, January, boom, Diet Coke. Oh, I'm going to get wild. I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to get wacky. Water. Two Big Macs, supersized fries, water. No. You're playing with the devil. You're dancing with the devil. No matter what Van Halen says, you don't run with the devil. It'll keep you stuck and out of alignment with the things of God. And you'll get better for a while. Hey, I'm going to stop using that prescription drug. I'm going to stop that for a while. I'm not going to get in a small group. I'm not going to join the church. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to, and you're going to just, and see, when you realign, everybody's seen a crooked board, right? You've got a crooked board. Nobody says, okay, let's bring it back to normal. What do you have to do to straighten that board out? You have to over-exaggerate the alignment, right? I have to, if it's here, I've got to over-exaggerate it here. If it's here, I got to at least go to here. That's what the scriptures are. That's what denying self and, and killing the flesh and, and, and following and walking in light and not the darkness and putting to, to, to death the things of the flesh. I, I, I got to take this serious. Some of you are dancing and dabbling with the devil and you, you get better for a little while. Hey, my marriage is really good, really. Are you in a small group yet? Have you connected with other people? Are you reading your Bible? Well, no, no, we just apologize and things are better. No, no, it looks better today. The weeds are covered up today. They're coming back. They're coming back. They didn't go anywhere. And you're dancing with, you're playing. You don't play with God's holiness. You don't play with God's favor. You take it serious. I over-align myself. You got to know what trips you up. You got to know what you do when, for your meeting legitimate needs and illegitimate. What are those illegitimate ways? You've got to over exaggerate, not. And how are we going to do that? We've got counseling. We've got small groups. Maybe you need to take base camp and become a part of a family. You've got to do. You've got to change. You've got to change. You can do all the other stuff, and maybe it makes you feel better. But if you don't repent, if you don't change, you're going to be right back. You're going to be right back. As a counselor, I see it all the time. Those who are serious, I'll do whatever it takes, Pastor Todd. I'll do whatever it takes. Then other people, I say, hey, won't you read this chapter? They come back in, they haven't read anything. They're not there yet. You gotta change repentance, confession. What did I do? How did it make me feel? Uh, what happened? Forgive myself, God. Forgive me. I forgive others. I'll release God, and then change, repent, recalibrate, recalibrate, realign by over exaggerating where God has put me. For some of you, that's just, you may need to go home today in repentance and say to your spouse, I'm sorry. I've, been a, I've just not met your needs. You've been trying to meet your needs illegitimately, and I know some of that's because I've not been available. That would be huge repentance for some of you. I'm sorry. Sorry for what I did. 
sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for being unavailable. I'm sorry that my heart is shut down. I'm sorry that I've turned you into the enemy. That would be a huge repentance thing, a big change, something different. Some of you need to be obedient to the things of God. Some of you need to heal through the process that we just worked through here. We have support groups like divorce care and other things. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need a mentor. But, but I want you to know that if you stay here, God's grace doesn't, I mean, it's, it's here. But, but as you move in repentance and do these things, God's grace showers you because this is his will. And he promises in the midst of this, he will not let you go. He's with you. As we sing this song, I want you to listen to the words. Let's bow our heads. Father, if you would, if you would show it tangibly, put your, put your hands up on your lap. Put your palms up and just say out loud, Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, speak to my heart. Say it out loud so we can pierce the darkness here. Jesus, speak to me and let my heart hear you. He will not let you go. He is with you. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.